Masechet Nedarim Daf Chet. We left off with one statement by Rav Gidel Amar Rav about undoing excommunication. We're going to see now three more statements by the same sages, uh, also about uh, excommunication and oaths, making them and undoing them. We'll see a, more, uh, a few more halachot on the same subject, and we're going to complete the discussion of the first Mishnah with some interesting agada about the end of days. So we begin. Says, how do you know that you can make an oath in order to fulfill a mitzvah? Generally, you can't make a, a there's a rule, we're going to see a second. If I already have one oath, I cannot make another oath on the very on the exact same thing. The second one will not apply. And uh, if I make a vow that I'm going to put on tefillin tomorrow, well, I'm already commanded to put on tefillin tomorrow. So uh, that oath should not actually apply according to that rule. But Rav Gida Marav has a chidush and says, how do you know that if I make such a vow, um, that it is, that it does in fact do something. Shene'emad, uh, so because in Tehilim says, I have sworn and confirmed to observe your commandments. So this pasuk is saying that yes, you can swear to fulfill the commandments, even though we're already, we already agreed and already swore that we would fulfill the commandments. Okay. So we ask the question, hold on, we already swore from the time of Har Sinai, that will fulfill all the commandments. So how will it help anyone if someone vows that he'll fill, fulfill all the, all the commandments or one commandment? Rather, what Avgid al-Marav is actually teaching is not that this vow will be a valid vow and that he'll be obligated to bring an extra uh, sacrifice punishment if he if he if he uh, undoes if he doesn't follow through, uh, but rather that one is permitted to make such a vow in order to motivate himself. Okay, so the point is it's not actually going to be a valid binding vow, but it's permitted to say such a thing even if you're saying God's name. We don't consider that taking God's name in vain uh, because you want to just make be uh, uh, be uh, an uh, extra. Uh, zealous and really make sure that you do it in case you're wavering so you make that that vow i'm going to do this mitzvah i have to do it anyway but i make a vow formula and that'll make encourage me not to forget Okay, that's the first. Second one for today. Uh, someone says, I am going to wake up in the morning and I am going to study this pedek, meaning of Tanakh, or Eshne, I will learn this Masechet of Mishnah. Um, this is, Rav is a first generation Amora. So obviously the Gemara itself was, did not exist yet. They could not possibly do Dafyomi in his generation. Um, but rather the Mishnah, I'm going to, um, to study this, this Masechet. Um, this is a big neder. Now, neder is actually used here loosely. It's actually a shivuah. A neder, I can, uh, a neder means that an object is prohibited to me. So you can only say a neder to prohibit some object. Here, he's taking upon himself an obligation to do something, to go and study. So it's actually a shivuah, but the word neder, sometimes it means 
particularly exactly a neded to prohibit something, but sometimes it means the more general category of uh, of any promise. And now here it's talking about a shivuah. So he says this is a, a a big vow to the God of Israel. In other words, it is effective. Now we ask the same question. Or we already commanded to study Torah, and that's uh, from Har Sinai. We already said Nasev Nishma. Nishma, we're going to study it, and you can't make another shivua upon a shivua. So why, in what sense is this a valid uh, vow? So what are you saying? Oh, he's just coming to teach us that you can make such a statement, even though it's not a, a binding vow, in order to encourage, to motivate oneself, right? I know that in the morning I'm going to be lazy, I'm going to be tired, I might just uh, end up sleeping late. So if I make a, this vow formula, that will encourage me to really get up and make time for my uh, daily Tanakh study. Um, so is it to teach us that, and it's not actually a binding vow? Hold on. That is the exact same thing as the previous sta- statement of Rav Gidel. He already taught us that you can make a vow that I'm going to wear tefillin. It's not a binding vow, but is, is permitted to say such a thing for encouragement. So we already know that. Rather, he's teaching us something new here, that since if, he per- if a person wanted, he can fulfill his obligation to study Torah just by reading uh, Shema in the morning and the evening, right? Although it says, you have to speak about words of Torah every day. The bare minimum is you say Shema. So I fulfilled my biblical obligation by saying Shema. If I make my, if I take a vow upon myself that I'm going to learn a Perek of Mishnah, that's above and beyond the base level. So the Mushba Ve'omed, the, the swear at Har Sinai was only that I'm going to do a minimal amount of study every morning and every evening. And so this vow does apply because it, it adds more to my minimal obligation. And so therefore, yes, uh, that, that vow will, will apply. And um, that could be a good thing. Uh, to uh, encourage oneself to do that. Amarav Gidel Amarav. Haomed lachaverot. Nashkim v'nishneh perekzeh. Alav nashkim. If someone tells his friend, right, let's wake up early and we're going to study this perek together. Or we're going to, you know, read some Tanakh together uh, in the in the morning. So that is a binding vow, as we just saw. But furthermore, since he told his friend that, the obligation is upon the person who made the vow to get there first. Right, he has to rise earlier and uh, set everything up and wait for his friend. How do you know that? Because in Yechezkel, it says that Hashem told Yechezkel, um, wake up and go to the plain and I'm going to speak to you there. And then, sure enough, uh, he, wrote, he woke up early to that plain and behold, the uh, the glory of Hashem was already standing there because Hashem invited Yechezkel, hey, late, hey, wake up tomorrow, let's meet, right? We have something to tell you. So it was it's proper procedure, protocol, that the person doing the inviting should get there first. Okay, so this is uh, this is very nice. If, you know, if you call a meeting or you set a, you know, a lunch date, the person who's doing the inviting should make sure to get there first. That's the proper, polite thing to do, and uh, so uh, so too with learning Torah. Um, so that's the last statement of Rav Gidel Amarav. Amarav Yosef, 
Now following up on before, if someone is excommunicated, um, how do they? How do you undo the excommunication? We saw a few laws about that already. Uh, but now, what if someone's excommunicated in a dream? He sees a dream in which. Uh, uh, he's excommunicated. Now, this is not going to be an official excommunication because it's only in a dream, but nevertheless, the dream may be significant and maybe it means he actually did something wrong. Um, so he has to worry about that and he should go to 10 people to undo the dream. Now these 10 people shouldn't just be anybody, it should be people that study halacha. But if they matnu, then that's not good enough level. Now, matnu would mean usually to teach. So it means if they study, but not if they teach. I mean, teaching would be a higher level than studying. So one interpretation of this version of the text is that um, taking halakha to be a higher level than mishnah. The word matnu would be for matnitin if they study only mishnah, whereas halakha would be uh, studying well, not Gemara as we have it, but Talmud in the sense of they're they're studying. You know, what is the what is the meaning? Uh, comparing cases, figuring out what the halacha would be. So, if they're on a high level of studying Talmud halacha, then those are ten worthy people to undo this uh, dream ban. But if they only study basic Mishnah, uh, then uh, and not Tanu Hilchata, then it's not sufficient. However, if you don't even find people that, uh, if you don't find people that study on that high level of halacha, Talmud, then even if they just matnu, just no mishnah, then that's still sufficient to undo this dream ban, right? Again, it's not a technical halachic ban, um, but rather, you know, maybe it's a message from heaven that, uh, that uh, you, know, you did something wrong, and so he should still go and uh, undo it in front of 10. All right, that's the printed version we have here. Uh, there is um, another version in the Munich manuscript uh, that perhaps is clearer. Um, it says, Vehu uh, de matne that's only if they uh, if they uh, teach halacha, but if they don't teach halacha, then no. So here it's not a difference between different types of learning or teaching. It's just that they not, they don't only know Tanakh, but they have to know halacha. Usually, just could be Mishnah. So they have to be teaching Mishnah, but otherwise not. And if there is no one uh, that, uh, that teaches halacha, even if they only learn halacha and not teach it. So it will be a lower level. They only learn the Mishnah, but they don't know how to teach it. And if there's none of that, then that'll be the next, uh, the next uh, um, uh, line. Okay, so this is a, a different version, and there seems to be uh, a few different versions of exactly what these uh, levels are. Rambam has a totally different scenario. Maybe he has different manuscript, but we don't have that manuscript that he may have had. Um, okay, so that's uh, so you should go to ten people that are more learned, and if not, then you can go to people ten people that are less learned. and if you don't even have that, Parashat 
If you can't get a group of 10 learned people together, then sit at the crossroads where people go back and forth and say hello to everybody that passes by until you'll get an, an, an 10 who walk by and they'll say, you'll say hello to them, they'll say hello to you, and probably within that, there'll be 10 people that do have studied halakha. So even if you can't get them together in one place, each of them saying hello to you is a way of not being excommunicated because if someone's excommunicated, you can't speak to them. You have to stay far away from them. So these people, each by greeting, even though they're not all together in one place, but they're passing by, that is sufficient. Again, this is not a technical nidui, but it's a heavenly sign there, and therefore this would be the procedure. Let's say you know who excommunicated you in a dream, right? You had a dream, and in the dream I saw uh, you know, a certain person, um, maybe he's, you know, an authority figure or the sage or something, and he says he, he says to a person in their dream, "You are excommunicated." So then, do I have to still do this ten people procedure, or can I go directly to that person? Right, they're they're, um, they're around, they're nearby, and let me go there and undo the vow in front of the person that excommunicated in the dream. Although that was in a dream, I'm going to go to them while I'm awake. And undo it. Is that okay? No, you cannot do that. To put you in excommunication, they, up in heaven, sent that guy to be a messenger in a dream that he would be the representative of this heavenly, uh, heavenly message to say, hey, you may, you done, they did something wrong. Um, but to undo it, that he's not necessarily an, uh, a messenger that he can undo it for heaven. This is, he was only being used by a person's maybe subconscious that, you know, this is the person of authority or that he feels guilty about what he did. So he's getting that message. So um, no, it's not sufficient to go to the person who's alive. You have to um, undo it in that heavenly way. Well, you can't. Who are you going to ask? So you get 10 people. They are representative. It's a minyan. A minyan represents the community and uh, can be at that stand-in for to undo the divine message. What if someone had a dream that he was excommunicated and in the dream also they undid the excommunication, right? Is that sufficient? Uh, does, he, does he still have to go find 10 people? He says, just like you never have uh, wheat without, uh, without bran, um, right, you know, anytime you have grain, you have to take off all the chaff, all the bran, and throw it away, and only have the the kernel that's good. So too, you never have a dream without some nonsense in it. Every dream is a mixture of uh, real messages that are come from heaven, and other things that are just mixed in, just filler filler stuff uh, that fill the space. So you never know which is the real and which is not. And it could be that the excommunication. That was the grain. That was a real message. And maybe the un-excommunication uh, was not a real message. That was just a person's own uh, own mind filling it in. And so therefore, it's not sufficient to be unexcommunicated in a dream. If you were excommunicated in a dream, you have to go to 10 people and undo that excommunication. All right. So one time, Ravina 
Ravina's wife took a vow. And although Ravina, as her husband, uh, would have had the right to undo the vow, could be a vow that was not related to the, to the household, and he couldn't do it, or maybe he didn't do it right away. So anyway, he would, later on, he wants to go and undo it. So he goes to Rav Asher, that's actually his teacher, and to tell him, this is the situation, can you undo the vow? Ba'al, Mahu ishto. So Ravina asked Rav Asher, listen, my wife, uh, for whatever reason, she can't come, she doesn't want to come. Can I, the husband, can I be a shaliach to undo the vow for my, for my wife? Usually a person that makes a vow will come to a betin. See, when it comes to Rav Asher here, it's going to be evident in a second that he doesn't come just to one person, but Rav Asher and his betin, right? Whatever, whoever's gathered around him. So usually when someone makes a vow, he comes to a betin and they has to get an interview. Why did you make the vow? What were the circumstances? Did you realize the consequences? If you knew that, would you still do it? Right? It has a whole uh, uh, process. So the question is, can a husband be a stand-in, uh, an agent uh, for, to undo the vow and explain the circumstances for his wife? So Rav Asher's answer is, if the three people are already assembled there, then yes, you can be a messenger. But if not, if not, if you have to go and find three people and put them together, put together the betin, then you're not allowed to do it. All right, it's not really clear what the difference is. One explanation is that um, we're afraid that the husband, since he's uh, in Nogea Badavar, right? He may he may be affected by the outcome of this. If she says, "I'm never going to," uh, you know. Uh, um, watch TV, and uh, he likes to watch TV with her, and uh, so he may be affected, um, and uh, he, or, or you know whatever it is. Uh, so uh, then he, um, so he may be very eager to have the vow undone, and if in his eagerness he may uh, exaggerate, lie, and uh, in explaining the situation, and so they were afraid of that. Now, if it's a standing betin that's already there, then fine, we can trust the husband. Yeah, he wants to tell the truth. But if he has, if there's no betin there, and he goes through the tremendous effort to go and find three people, put them together, that shows he's very, very eager to have it undone. If he's so eager, then we are suspicious that he may not tell the full, exact truth, and so then we do not let him. We want her to come in herself because she has direct access and she'll be more reliable. Uh, to speak about herself than her husband speaking about her. All right. Um, so from that story, Shema Mina Tilat, we can learn three lessons. Shema Mina Ba'al Naase Shalir Lecharatat Ishto. That yes, generally, a husband can be a messenger to annul his wife's um, vows in front of the Betin. Furthermore, that you cannot undo a vow in the place where one's teacher is. You see, Ravina did not go and uh, just undo the vow himself with his own Betin, but rather, because his teacher was nearby, that Rav Asher, he says, no, I have to go to my teacher. It's a sign of respect. Um, so even if someone else came to Ravina, he would say, oh, let's go to, let's go to Rav Asher. And the third is that we only do it if there's already a betin assembled, right? Because that was Rav Asher's answer. They have to already be there. Only then can the husband be a messenger. And now one more law that's incidentally regarding an excommunication. What we just said was regarding a vow to undo a vow. 
But if someone was excommunicated and now they made Teshuvah, they don't deserve to be excommunicated anymore, uh, then a person, the sage, should undo it immediately by himself. Even in the place where his rabbi lives, he shouldn't wait to have to go and travel to the, to the rabbi's house. Um, uh, but he should do it immediately. And furthermore, even if it's a single person, but he's an expert judge, he's a, he's a certification as a judge, he can undo the excommunication. The reason is because someone's excommunicated, that's a really bad situation for him. It's very difficult, really suffering. And so we don't want to delay at all until he finds three people or until he goes to his teacher's house. Rather, you let, him un- uh, you, you let one person do it immediately even without, even, and don't have to bother going to the rabbi. Whereas a vow, someone made a vow, I'm not going to eat chocolate. Okay, so if they have to wait a few extra minutes and still not eat chocolate before they undo it, it's not the end of the world. Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Zevid, Bar Zevid, Amar Rabbi Yitzhak Bar Tabla, Amar Rabbi Chiyah Aricha, Deber Rabbi Acha, Amar Rabbi Zera, Amar Rabbi Elazar, Amar Rabbi Chanina, Amar Rabbi Meyasha, Mishemed Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli. That was a long list of rabbis. Um, you find this every once in a while. I think it usually means the following statement is going to be something very significant that we have this whole long chain of tradition. Okay, okay this is an exposition on a pasuk in Malachi. Let's look at that pasuk ourselves for a minute. Um, here we go. Yeah, so we're gonna we're actually gonna see Pasuk nineteen in a few minutes, but right now it's Pasuk twenty that the Zadach Yomba is gonna be in some future time. The sun is going to rise uh, upon those who fear my name. It's going to be a sun of righteousness, and it's going to be healing in its wings. And uh, you will go forth and you will uh, stamp like fat calves. All right, so it's depicting some great reward uh, in the future for those who fear God. So here's how we uh, expound upon it. So this is referring to people who are afraid to say Hashem's name um, for for naught. So we're learning it from Yir'eh Shemi. Now in Peshat, uh, when we say Shem, uh, the man Shema uh, is just a stand-in for Hashem himself, right? Hashem's name is his essence. But here they're taking it ultra-literally that those who fear Hashem's name and will not do not want to take his name in vain. So those people who do that, they will have a great reward that they'll, they'll have sun of, uh, of righteousness and of healing, right? Lots of good things. Um, Abaye teaches, Abaye learned something else from this pasuk, uh, that chigra, uh, the, the, the dust of, uh, of the sun heals. What's the dust of the sun? Uh, it could be like in this picture, when you have sunlight coming in through the window, a lot of times you see the dust particles uh, there and the idea is like you know there's something there the sun is not just giving light but it actually is healing um, maybe it's talking about photons because actually now we know light is bits of dust the little tiny particles um, but it is in fact true that sun has a lot of healing powers and uh, you know gives someone vitamin D 
and lots of benefits uh, in in uh, you know in, in proper doses and with proper sunscreen, of course. Okay. Oh, peliga de Shimon ben Lakish. Now, Bayer was saying that the sun is good for people, regular people alive here in this world. It's good to go out and get some sun. But this is in disagreement with what Resh Lakish said. So Resh Lakish is applying the very same pasuk not to live people in this world that benefit from the sun, but rather to a future world. And so he says there is no Gehinam in the future world. Uh, here, Olam Ba can mean a number of things. It seems not to mean after, after a single individual dies. There, uh, he would probably agree that there is Gehinam, there is some suffering uh, 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 to atone for that person's sin. But in the far future, at the end of days, as Malachi is, uh, is in fact talking about, um, there won't be a separate punishment of whatever it is called Gehinam, but rather Hashem will simply bring out the sun from its sheath. Uh, the sun is uh, now protected at night. It goes wherever it goes. They believe it went behind the earth and to, you know, like behind the curtain. Or maybe it means that the um, the, uh, um, the the different layers of the atmosphere uh, protect ozone, right? Protect us from the sun. But in the future, Hashem will bring the sun in its full force, and uh, because of that, the righteous people will be healed by it. It will actually be good. The righteous people will be able to soak up that sun and enjoy it and have healing. Whereas the evil people will be judged by it. It will be will be uh, burnt. Will suffer because of it. In other words, it's not a is going to be a separate gainam in the good place and a bad place, but rather it'll be the very same thing, but the very same thing will be good for the good and bad for the bad. Maybe you could understand it in the way of sun illuminating everything, and once everybody's uh, you know uh, books are opened, they're pri- public and private matters, so those who are righteous, you'll see all the wonderful things they did in public and private, and their humility, and evil people, um, you'll see all the terrible things they did, and so it'll um, be a day of judgment, of reckoning, of um, unveiling all that which is hidden, and you'll know the truth, who's really good and who is not. Um, okay, so, the, and he quotes the same pasuk, so you see that Shakish says, um, it's not, or not only um, healing in this world, but, and, but talking about the next, the future world. And not only will the righteous be healed by the sun, if they were had some problem, some sickness, they'll be healed, but actually they'll even um, enjoy it, um, like this is the same language as Gan Eden, and uh, they'll be they'll flourish from it, um, and that's the rest of the pasuk that says they're going to jump up like calves of the stall, fattened calves, healthy calves um, that have a lot of energy. And the last line, Varshaim Nidonin Ba Shneimad. How do you know that evil people will suffer in it? We didn't see a pasuk for that yet, but this is the previous pasuk in Malachi Shneimad. Hinehayom Ba Boer Ketanur. We can look back at that pasuk. Boer Ketanur, right? Something is coming, it's going to be burning like an oven. The evil people will be like straw. And they will be um, they will be consumed 
ודיחת אותם, היום הבא, אמר אדוני סבאות, אשר לא יעזוב להם שורש וענף, they're going to be so burned until there's nothing left of them, not stock, not boughs, just ashes. You see, it's quite nice how this Midrash connects the two Pesukim, although Pesuk 19 doesn't talk about the sun, but Pesuk 20 does. 19 does talk about something burning something up, so it makes sense to connect it with the next Pesuk, and just like the sun sheds light and healing and good things, so too that very force is very powerful and can also burn those who are wicked. And so that's the essence of this Midrash. It's the very same force that will be for good and for bad. And so this uh, we go to the next Mishnah and the next Daf, but it's really nice how this uh, whole, from Daf Bet until now, uh, follows through with, uh, with, the same, with this theme. And uh, this is relevant to, to vows because a vow that's taken in vain uh, is saying Hashem's name in vain. And therefore, this is, the, this is emphasizing the stringency of uh, how careful one has to be with saying Hashem's name. And for that reason, um, probably better not to take vows at all. Uh, then uh, well, that, that will be discussed even further uh, in the future. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.